Okay, I want to welcome everybody to our next version of our podcast, uh, Conversations with Authentic Leaders. And my passion and purpose is to really look at how authenticity fosters leadership. And there's so many leadership books out today that talk about what leaders do, and there's some great books on leaders and what they do and how they behave and how do you measure good leadership. My question, however, is how do leaders become? What are your defining moments? What shaped you to be who you are today? And what, where does your capacity to influence people, where does that come from? Just stop for a moment as a listener and think of the people in your life who have impacted you, who have influenced you, who have shaped you. And ask yourself, how did that happen? Where did that ability to influence and impact you, where did that come from? And it's my assumption that it didn't come from the, their title. They may have had a title. They may not have had a title. It didn't come from their role. They may have been a parent, an uncle, an aunt, a grandparent, a brother, a sister. But their ability to impact you did not come from that role. It came from who they are as a person. And so what I'm interested in is finding extraordinary leaders who are what I would call authentic. And I want to hear their story. And we want to shine a light on, that, on their story about how they got to be who they are. And so I have today the good fortune of having a conversation with a very, very good friend of mine who's been a friend of mine for many years. His name is Jim Rieger. And I, I will just share with you, um, I can't really express the, the, how impactful Jim's life has been on my life. We met probably, I'm thinking, about 15 years ago. And we started to have these conversations about authenticity. And Jim, you really helped me see that this whole notion of authenticity isn't just valuable personally, it's also valuable in the business world. Now let me just share with you just a little bit about Jim. Uh, his passion is evident in his work, which is focused on assisting leaders in creating and building authentic lives and cultures in organizations for decades. He's an internationally experienced speaker and leadership mentor with a very unique and varied background, and you're going to hear about some of that background today. He was Western Canada General Manager for Hewlett-Packard and then President of Mobile Data International, a global leader in wireless technology. And I have to tell you, over 6,000 businesses across Canada have attended Jim's year-long training program for business owners and their teams. And then an additional 2,500 individuals have graduated from the Rieger Group's extensive entrepreneurial development program for startup businesses. You have a passion for business. You have a passion for entrepreneurs, Jim. You have a passion for, for uh, you have a passion for family, families in business, and I know you have impacted many, many family businesses across this country. We wrote a couple of books together, The Authentic Leader and Bridges of Trust, and you've written a couple of your own books called Creating a Shared Vision and Living a Life of Meaning and Purpose. So it's my good fortune, Jim, to have you join us in this conversation today. You're an authentic leader. You've made a tremendous difference in the lives of many, many leaders and many individuals in your work, and I welcome you to our podcast. Well, thank you. I'm not sure I can live up to that. <laughs> 
Oh, you will. You will in your own authentic uh, way. Is there anything else you'd like us to know about you, Jim? No, I think that, that uh, that's, that's plenty to know about me. So we can, we can move on and talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, Jim, why don't you give me and our listeners, why don't you give us your thoughts about authenticity, about how it impacts leadership, about accountability. These are all things that we've been passionate about in our work together. Why don't you just give us your thoughts about what these mean to you? Being an authentic leader, what does leadership mean? And just speak to us about that. Well, as you know, I've had quite a varied and, I don't wouldn't maybe not checkered, but varied career. I spent the first, uh, I've been working now full time. I just figured out because I went into the computer business when I was 17, right out of high school. And so I've been working, it'll be uh, 58 years full-time this uh, coming June. And I was lucky enough in the 70s, uh, when I was in my late 20s, 30s, 30s, to work for a company called Hewlett Packard, as you've pointed out there. And probably one of the most important stories I could share, at least certainly has that impacted me, you know, happened to me at Hewlett Packard. But I have to first point out that back in the 70s, HP was considered, you know, one of the most innovative, most profitable, most successful, uh, best companies, best leadership, best managed companies in the entire world. Um, and I was lucky enough to work there. It was the last actual job I ever had, but I worked there as a young guy, and I was um, I was running Western Canada, as you pointed out, and, and living in Vancouver. And uh, we had outgrown the premises that we were renting, and so we we had uh, forecast to expand fairly rapidly. The company was growing about 15, 20% a year. And so we had bought some land, we built a building for the company, and we had uh, we were sitting around one day with the management for Vancouver, and we were planning our, so who's gonna come to the open house for, you know, for our new building? And uh, we were trying to decide which customers are coming, our spouse was coming, which HP management should we invite? And so one of the guys said, well, you know, who are we gonna invite from HP? Now at the time, Hewlett Packard employed about 35,000 people, so they were a pretty big company. And somebody said, look, why don't we invite Bill or Dave, you know, Bill Hewlett or Dave Packard? And of course, you know, they were the owners and leaders of the company at the time. One was chairman, one was president. And of course, everybody said, well, they're not gonna come, you know, little company out here, we're about, 40, 50 people, and somebody else said, well, we don't, how will we know unless we ask them? So guess who got invited to ask them? And you gotta remember that was going about eight levels above my uh, my reporting structure, but I got, you know, being a brash, young, 20-something guy, I said, well, let's give it a try. So I phoned, uh, I phoned Bill Hewlett first, because he was kind of the more approachable of the two, and his secretary said, unfortunately, you know, he's out of town the day you're having your open house, so he can't attend. So I went to phone Packard's secretary, and she said, well, he is in town. I'll check with him and get back to you. So she got back to me a few days later and said, uh, Mr. Packard would love to come under one condition. He wants to make sure that in addition to the, pardon me, in addition to the open house, he has about 45 minutes just with the, the HP staff at the time. And I said, no problem. So you got to remember now that I had gone above, or, you know, directly to Packard. So I had to some explaining to do to my boss and him to his boss and so on up the ladder. But at any rate, we, uh, they, you know, I said, if you don't want him to come, then you, you can be the one to tell him because I'm certain I'll going to. And I remember this is the, you know, probably the most important lesson I've ever learned in leadership. He came out and we're having our meeting with just the staff and, and Dave Packard was in his, uh, probably in his early 60s at the time. 
And he said, when I first got Jim's uh, invitation, he said my, my knee-jerk reaction was, uh, yeah, it's, I'd love to go, but it's just, it's a long way to go. It's a, it's an all-day or maybe day and a half even trip to get there and back. And, you know, I got lots of other things I could be doing. He said, but then I read Jim's briefing notes in which he said that HP Vancouver was going to uh, hire their 50th person in the upcoming year and he said it reminded me of a day back in the late 40s when Bill and I were sitting around and we had just finished our business plan to say we were going to hire our 50th employee in the entire company and we were looking at each other and and we had already formed the philosophy that we had to hire the best people we could find across the board not just the best engineers but the best marketing people the best sales people the best financial people everybody we hired we had to hire the best person we could find and we talked even about, you know, when we place ourselves, we had to hire people that were better than we were at what we did. And he, he said, Bill said to me, he said, so, you know, what are we going to do if we're going to hire people that are better than we are? And it, it, this is, I can remember him saying it. I can remember the profound effect it had on everybody in the room. He said, we kind of looked at each other and he said, you know, we have to redefine leadership for ourselves. We have to become experts at understanding the human spirit. And Dave, to be honest with you, I've yet to find a better definition of authentic leadership than that one. And that resonated with me as a young man in my, as I said, I was in my late 20s at the time. And that's been kind of my passion, you know, how do we, how do we really understand other people? And, you know, you talked about it earlier, but my experience is, as I look back at all the people that have had a profound impact on me, as Dave Packer did at that time, uh, you know, you, you can look at, uh, go back and like, and I do this exercise actually in my talks. I get people to say, think of somebody in your life, could be an aunt, uncle, brother, sister, grandparent, neighbor, boss, coach, somebody who through their, just their presence, just being in your life had a huge impact on you. And think of that person, ideally not a parent, somebody else if you can, and think about the qualities of that person. What was it about them? That had such an impact and I think about somebody who actually you could say because of their presence in my life they actually impacted the person I am today they were part of the formation of my character who I am and so I get them to think about that and then I get asked them a question let me ask you one thing about that person how many of you would say that that person genuinely sincerely cared about you of course every hand in the room always goes up and so I, I make the point and it's the really this is just from my own learning that if you really want to make an impact on somebody then just let them know that you sincerely genuinely care about them as a person and that to me that's the essence of really authentic leadership letting people know i think he wrote a book on caring and what a profound what a profound book that was because we if somebody knows we care about them and we don't really expect our leaders to have all the answers we don't really yeah, that's not important to us, but we, if we know they care about us, man, oh man, what a difference that makes. So if I had to say what's the essence of, of leadership, it's that, that caring about the human spirit, caring about other people and letting them know that we do that. And sometimes that's different with every person. So I've rambled on here for quite a while. I'm not sure if I've even answered your question. No, you definitely have answered my question, and it, it leads to, to more questions. Jim, how, how would you describe, it's kind of self-evident, but how would you describe that experience how that impacted your leadership over the years. Can you, can you articulate that about how you personally found a way to show that you cared with your staff over these years? 
Well, you know, one of the one of the things I learned again at HP, they were so far ahead of their time in their leadership training and so on. Is it very early on in the game they they would send us off on you know different courses to understand ourselves. And what I realized is that we're all different. We well, there there's no two people the same. And so when you have people working for you, um, you know, or whether it's a customer that that you want to influence, or whether it's an employee that works for you, just being being aware that everybody is different and trying to understand that person what truly you know what truly motivates this person where where are they at in their life going back to that thing that Packard said you know becoming an expert in understanding the human spirit because we're all motivated by different things and at different times you know what, what motivated me you know necessarily in my 20s and 30s is not the same that was in my 50s and so really trying to understand letting that person know that you genuinely care about them as a person getting to know them as a person not just you know not just in their career and their work effort but you know what what is really important to them and and that takes effort that that means you have to you know maybe be conscious and present in their lives and think about it so i'm not sure i i got a pat answer to that i wish i did there's no formula it's just really about approaching everybody in terms of who who is this person what are they all about what's really important to them what motivates them What's their passions? Um, and and the minute you the minute you, tr- you that it's obvious that you're trying to get to know somebody, they know about it and they automatically gravitate, you know, to that. So that's if I were to say there's one thing, if when there's somebody important to me, I'm really clear. You know, my life has been about if I'm really clear about who and what is important to me, decisions just get easier to make. Um, you know, and and so like I said, when I was young and I had a big mortgage and young family and bills and stuff I was you know what motivated me was a little different you know, than what motivates me today so it's really about caring about people I think and you, you really did a good job pointing that out in your book and that made a that made a difference on me and how important that is so I don't does that answer your question yes it does and, and Jim I'm wondering if you could offer your perspective of why you think it might be difficult for leaders to express that in our current workplace today and just just speak to that if you could well, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure really why. I mean, I only can go by myself, but I do think that that sometimes, particularly, particularly when you work for, you know, if you're working for a publicly traded companies or sometimes maybe even government or bigger companies, where the motivation and, and the perspective is motivated by quarterly profits, and sometimes you just don't have the luxury. Of, of being able to spend the time to reflect on that. So, you know, as you know, in my work, I, I don't work for big publicly traded companies anymore. I work for mostly family-owned businesses. Now, some of them are very, very big. But what I've experienced in working for a family business, um, they, 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 can def- they can make a decision and defer profits, um, you know, if they decide to do so. You know, my experience, Dave, I think you'll concur with this, with your work with families, that there's no social structure that I know of better than family for transmitting values from one generation to the next. And so my work with family business is usually really rewarding because they're, you know, they decide they want to transfer family values into the business. So individuals sometimes are under that tremendous pressure when, when they, when they, when they don't have an organization, we talk about being out of sync in the workplace and so many people are out of alignment 
in the workplace because their own personal values are not in alignment with the organization and of course that just creates stress and you and I you know that's that's the essence of what we do if you can work if you can work in an environment where you can be who you are um, and you can create an environment as a leader where where not only you are who you are but you encourage other people to be who they are and bring their unique gifts and passions to work it makes all the difference world in terms of motivating people and, and getting them to bring their unique gifts and their talents to work and so even in even in those big structures you can create an environment where where your team at least uh, knows that that you can be who you are in this environment so I see pockets of that everywhere I go and so for me it's about really being who you are allowing other people to be who they are trying to understand what are the unique gifts and talents and passions at any moment and in, in time and, and being able to bring those to the workplace. Well, Jim, we could go on uh, at great length here. Could you articulate? I know that one of the core values for you is ac- accountability. And and we have, I know together, have integrated the whole notion. You can't really be authentic without being accountable. And, and if you're accountable without being authentic, it's just drudgery. And we've really worked hard at integrating both accountability and authenticity together. But you've influenced my thinking a great deal about accountability. And I'm wondering whether you could speak to what accountability means to you and maybe some defining moments for you when you, how you develop this notion of being an accountable person and an accountable leader. And maybe if there's some things that you want to say too, in terms of deepening your own authentic presence, if there are some more, if there were more personal experiences that you could bring forward here, about how just how you developed that notion. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to share a story with you about when I was not accountable. But fortunately, it happened to me when I was very young. I was, um, as you know, my father passed away when I was seven. So, and my mom ended up having to work three jobs. So I was left pretty much in the world. You know, at the time, from the time I was seven, to kind of figure out who I am. I didn't have much time with my mom and my dad. Left, you know, my life early on, and I was. I remember, like once again, when you're these impactful things, you remember them like they were yesterday. I was 16 years old. I had got my driver's license. I was living in Winnipeg, working in a big grocery chain, and it turns out that that my the guy who ran the store, the pardon me, the store manager, took an interest in me was a bit of a mentor to me and I had had, I was working one weekend and I had been invited to a party by two of the most popular girls in the school and of course we didn't have a car and I was telling them, you know, I wished I had a car to to pick these girls up and he said, look, I'll tell you what, I'm working late tonight, it was a Friday night, he said, I'm going to be working till about 11, Uh, why don't you take my car, go to the thing, just make sure you're back here, pick me up outside and it was in the middle of, I think it was about this time of the year, January, February, it was cold as heck and he said, just be back here by 11. Uh, I got lots of stuff to do. And and so, man, was I ever excited about that to impress these two girls. So I, I borrowed his car. First time I ever, I had license, but first time I'd ever really driven a car on my own. And we, we went to this party, had a good time. And you know, I didn't drink anything or anything like that. But I was having such a good time. I thought, well, he's going to be working later than 11. And so I ended up not even getting back till I dropped the girls off at around 11. I didn't get to the store till probably 20. 25 minutes past 11, there he was standing in the cold, freezing. He had locked the store up, expecting me to be there probably a little before 11. I felt like such a jerk for not being accountable. And I remember that like it was yesterday, how I had disappointed somebody who had put a lot of faith and trust in me. And I swore to myself at the time that, that 
if I was going to be any kind of an, a leader at all, I had to become 100% accountable. My word had to mean something. And uh, that's maybe not a positive spin to put on it, but ever since then I've realized that you, you really cannot be authentic if you're not going to be accountable. If your word doesn't mean something, then you know, there's no way I'm going to be used being authentic. So that's that That was my defining moment. I, that happened when I was, like I said, 16 years old. So that's been a, that's been a focus for me for all my life. And I experienced that other people too. If they're, if they're not authentic, if I can't count on you when you say you're going to do something, uh, what good is that? And if you're not going to be able to be, a, if you're not going to be able to meet your accountabilities, I want to be the first one to know. I can certainly, I can certainly uh, forgive that. But it's when people don't take their their accountability seriously that there's no way that you view them as authentic leaders. Oh, that's that's great, Jim. And and uh, some, I always say that we can learn as much from bad experiences as we can from good ones. Just like from bad bosses, we can learn from bad bosses as much as great ones. They don't ne necessarily uh, be a positive experience to turn it around and get a positive learning from, and I think you've demonstrated that well. You know, well, one of the, I, you know, I've been lucky because you know, with my father gone and not really able to spend much time, I've I've been extremely lucky in that I've had, you know, a few very, a few, very intelligent, but more important, very caring people that took an interest in me has kind of mentored me along my life. I, my very first job out of high school was uh, pro working as a programmer uh, in a computer department, a big life insurance company in Winnipeg. And my very, very first boss, Pete, remember Mike, it was yesterday again, and he, he remember he said to me, I was 17, 18 years old, he said, Jim, you're really, you're really quite ambitious. And, you know, if you're going to be successful and, and, and a leader, you're going to have to keep learning. That's one of the other things about my experience with, with authentic leaders is they're always, always willing to learn no matter how, how long they've been in leadership or how old they get to be. They're always committed to learning. He said, you, you're, you have to commit to ongoing learning as a leader. And it, you know, long before the internet, he said, you should set a goal for yourself of you know, reading a business or self-improvement, self-awareness book. Uh, and he set, got me to set a goal of reading a book a month. Well, you know, you can do the math. I've been working for almost 58 years times 12, and I've read way more books than that. But probably there's about half a dozen that I would say truly, you know, truly, you know, are, are different, came up with something innovative and different to look at it. But I think one of the other things about authenticity is a commitment to ongoing learning, to never assuming that we have all the answers no matter no matter how old we are or how long we've been around it nor how successful we've been you know i don't i don't honestly think i've learned a ton from the things i've done really well the first time uh, but i sure have learned a lot from from you know the mistakes i've made not being afraid to to try things and make mistakes but learning from them and moving forward so that that's another element i think of authenticity is a commitment to ongoing learning particularly about yourself well jim what lessons at this stage in your life, would you like to pass along to, we've got a whole cross-section of listeners here from a variety of generations. What wisdom would you like to pass on that you've learned in your life about authenticity, about living a meaningful life? I know I've learned a great deal from you about what it takes to live a meaningful life versus a successful life. Uh, what, what lessons do you have for the young leaders in terms of... Uh, what it takes to be uh, an impactful leader today? Well, for me, the most important one would be clarity. And uh, cl 
clarity around what and who is most important to you. I mean, I do a lot of work, as you know, with, uh, with fairly successful, large, medium to large size family businesses. And, you know, I, I'll interview the founders and, and say, you know, what's most important to you, making money or family? And of course, it's always family. And I say, well, could I please have a look at your calendar and like to have a look at where you spent your time the last year? And, in, you know, not always, but most often, you know, the calendar indicates that, that what and who's important is not the family because their time has all been spent on the business. And yet I've yet to meet the guy who's a successful business person who at the end of their life says, gosh, I wish I'd spent more time on my business. So I would think the first lesson would be be very clear about what and who is most important in your life and make sure that, that your time, your energies uh, are dedicated and those people are, are, are programmed in your life and you, you know you know who they are. And even, you know, like I said, when I was a young man, lots of debt, big mortgage, all that stuff, it was real easy to justify spending time away from my family and my children, but I always made a commitment. I remember the last job I ever had was with Hewlett Packard. They, they gave me a nine-month leave of absence. I said, I, my kids are going to start school next year, and I want to spend time with them. I've been traveling a lot, so I went to Hawaii, as you know, for the better part of a year. They gave me nine monthly of that, so I went there and lived, and I just hung out on the sand with my kids and came back, and I remember, recall vividly, I mean, leaving HP was the hardest thing I ever had to do, but I, I loved living in Vancouver, I didn't, and I was kind of at the top of the heap there, and I'm not much of a maintenance guy, so I left, and that's when I kind of started, you know, my entrepreneurial career. But clarity, clarity on what and who's the most important, and making sure that your time, your energies, your passions are in alignment with that. That would be the first lesson. Probably the number two one would be uh, take this lesson about caring that you pointed out in your book and that we've talked about here. Make sure that the key people in your life, the ones that you really most want to impact, know that you care about them because that'll have a greater impact on on how how much they, you know, how much of their passions they bring to to whatever they're doing with you. Then make sure they. They, they know you care about them, and each person is individual. So, you know, some people need motivation differently than other people. Some don't respond to what I call jelly bean motivation, just patting them on the back. So make sure that you've looked at every person who's important to you, whether they work for you or whether it's in your life, and that they know you care about them, and they'll always know that. So that would be the number kind of two thing, and I don't know, that that, that would be it. And just learning about yourself, I guess, would be the third one. That's an ongoing, lifelong process, just clarity. I mean, I think most of my work currently is around self-awareness, being being more and more clear. I mean, you, you've read about the study. I, most of my learning as a young man was at Stanford because that's where Hewlett Packard was spawned. And uh, it's probably been, it's probably eight or nine years ago now that they, they did a study and they, and they have a 75 member advisory board uh, at Stanford. And it's included all the big names over the years, the Jobs and the Gates and all those guys. And they, they said that the number one, not number to not top 10, but the number one leadership attribute for leaders to develop is, is self-awareness. And and so I think just continually committing to learning about yourself. How can I how can I be more the person that I am? How can I learn about who I authentically am, what's really important to me, and then being that person? So, I mean, those are, those are heavy lessons, but those would be kind of the top three, I think, from my perspective. I, can you just elaborate? Self-awareness has been such an important value for you that I've learned from you. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how one would develop self-awareness in their life? 
I mean, there's a variety of ways. Do you have any thoughts about that? How have you developed self-awareness in your own life? Maybe speak to that. Well, I think it's... um I've been lucky. I've been. Uh, I was a member of a thing called the Canadian Association of Family Enterprises, and it's a not-for-profit family business because that's where most of my work has taken place in the last 25 years or so. But there's all sorts of groups called Entrepreneurs Organization, Young Presidents, um, organizations, uh, other organizations. I've been in a group for the better part of 25 years. We about eight to eight to ten or 12 of us at any given time, and we meet monthly and. And we bring to that group in our unique challenges in life, whether they're personal or professional, and get feedback and being open to to that feedback. So that's I've been lucky enough to be in one of those groups. I know other people have been in. So that's that's a key part of it. But I think being you know it, it also goes back to your attitude. I think uh, you know one of the things I learned early in life was that the, the attitude that I bring to every situation in life. Uh, has more to do with kind of what my takeaways are than any other thing. So, so what attitude to openness and being being open to, to, to being willing to ask for feedback, being willing to listen to that feedback, and then being willing to change. I mean, so many people. I call us mankind's incredible contribution. You know, we all say we we want we want more. I want more success. I want more happiness. I want more affection. I want more love. I want more money, or I want less. You know, I want less conflict in my life. I want less stress in my life. As long as what I don't have to change. And my experience is the more the more you you are willing and open to change yourself, the more you will attract and get whatever it is you want or less of what you want. So a willingness to be open and a willingness to change. I've said this to you and another, you know, my own family at the end of the day on my epitaph, they, if they say nothing else other than he changed, I'll be happy. You know, constantly striving to be a better person tomorrow than I am today. And that, that really is a willingness to look at myself and, and saying, Oh boy, that that behavior really has brought me the results in my life that I want. Maybe maybe trying a different approach would be more effective. And so, if I'm clear about who's important to me, if I'm willing to change, if I'm willing to really look at myself, if I'm willing to ask, you know, one thing I've always admired about you is you're always always asking, "What could I do? You know, how can I be more effective in my relationships? What can I do to be more effective?" And I think that's a a commitment a lot of people speak to, but they pay lip service to. Uh, you know, and yeah, oh, okay, well, great, but I don't really want to change. And so a willingness and an openness to change is probably the key to ongoing self-awareness, willing, willing to, to accept feedback. And also being clear about when, okay, so I got the feedback, but you know what? I'm not going to change. So that's, that, again, goes back to, you know, being willing to be who you are understanding and I think oftentimes we also we we kind of forget the passions and the interests we had when we were young and and uh, how do we get here we're so we're so trying to fit in all of us into the world I mean mankind really hasn't changed much in the last thousand years the best I can figure we we're still motivated by trying to, to wanting to be accepted wanting to be loved by other people oftentimes to the point that we we have to set our own co- personal values aside to fit in and I think the, the strong leaders I admire are really clear about that so the clearer you are about who you are the clearer and easier you can make decisions about am I going to fit in here or am I am I not going to change because that's outside my value system so 
it, it kind of all, it's sort of a bundle to me, you know, being clear about who you are, what kind of values are important to you. Is this an environment where I can be that person? Uh, can I influence the, the whole system? Um, I don't know. Is that... Jim, that's fantastic. It's uh, wonderful. And, you know, it's a... I always say describing an authentic leader is a little bit like describing beauty. You know, you walk out of an art museum and you can say, well, there was a beautiful expression of art in that museum. And then somebody asks you, well, how would you describe it? And almost by trying to describe it when you haven't had the experience, almost diminishes the experience. And what you've done here today is you've given us an experience of an authentic human being. And I know I've known you for many years. You, we've just caught a little snapshot of you this last half hour or so of what an authentic human being is. And, you know, it's in part the words you say, but it's, there's a presence underneath the message that you've been conveying to us today. And I think that presence came through loud and clear today, my friend. And I just am so grateful for your presence and your willingness to come forward here. I know uh, humility is, a, is one of the qualities that I look to in defining a leader, uh, certainly an authentic leader. And you bring that, uh, I know humbly, you bring uh, some of your wisdom forward here. And I appreciate uh, your willingness to just uh, be with us today and to share some of your wisdom and perspective after so many years of experience. So, Jim, just before we, uh, we end this today, uh, is there anything else I haven't asked you, any pieces of wisdom or thoughts or perspective that you can share with our uh, listeners that I have neglected to ask you? I don't think so, Dave. I mean, I could, as you know, I could probably ramble on for another five hours about all this stuff. But truthfully, I think the key points I've, that I would want to make to somebody, you know, looking back after a you know, 56-year career, but by the way, that I hope become I can talk to you about the 66-year career in two years because I have no intention of uh, retiring. I, I enjoy what I do. I have real passion for what I do because I, I'm lucky enough to be able to work with people like yourself who are really committed to this, this ongoing process. And and I think it's it's a never-ending. You know, I'm a work in progress, Dave, and uh, I hope that I'm a different person, you know, 10 years from now than, than I am today because I really want to keep learning and committed to that. So I appreciate the opportunity to share these thoughts with you and uh, hope there's some value in it to anybody who might be listening and look forward to working with you as we both move ahead in, in our lives. Thank you, my friend. It's been inspiring as always, and uh, I just look forward to our continued uh, relationship. This is what makes life worthwhile is uh, give back what we've been given and uh, continue to hopefully make a contribution. So you've, you've uh, spread a lot of seeds in our conversation here today, and uh, somewhere I'm sure they will take root. You take care of yourself, Jim. Thanks, Daisy.